welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey Michael, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Very good, very good. Thank you, Danny. No, no, thank you. It's um, you know, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I guess you, you're 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 over in New York, right? So what what time are we? Your time now? Oh yes, as I'm here in New York, and actually, it's uh, early as nine nine fifty in the morning. Oh, nice. And I just back from the trip from Europe, and, and I woke up very early today because I'm still have the jet lag. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that actually because I think you know we, we can get into that. But just before we start, yeah, so I tend sure. to, I tend to ask my guests a tagline, a logline to summarize themselves. What what would mm-hmm. your logline be? Huh, my logline definitely it's uh, a life in ambiguity. I want to say, okay. <laughs> professionally talking. Okay, a life in ambiguity. Yeah, because I. I just realized actually something I realized actually recently. I always um, be a little bit borderline because I always like to think a little bit different, you know. And when you think different, what's happening? You just be in the in that borderline to be in two different space, and uh, and that's okay, often ambiguity when you work at. Just for like giving you an understanding, I. I'm technically, I consider myself a designer. I always be a designer since actually when I was a kid. But growing up, you know, I'm starting to explore uh, this design side in all the different ways sometimes and things people never think is considered design. And that's taken me sometimes have some ambiguity with uh, the people around me and the work I'm doing because they think I'm doing like a visual design of uh, nice and pretty stuff. Versus sometimes right now I'm trying to apply design I don't know, organization or uh, or uh, management or business. And that often create this sort of ambiguity only because I like think different and I'm curious to see, okay, what I can do in a different way? What the things can be different? Yeah, definitely that's my log line. No, I, I like that. I like it. I think it's... It's a it's a very very interesting one which I'm which I want to touch upon in just a sec. But just before um, we do that, yeah. what I need you to do for me, please, Mirko, is I need you to pick four numbers for me from one to a hundred. Four number. Let's keep five. Okay. Uh, let's take. Uh, let me see. Fifty-six. Okay. Uh, give me seven. Okay. And seventy-five. Perfect. We will come to them a little bit later on. Okay. So I guess just to kind of get us warmed up, um, I, I tend to ask my guests what's. I'm going to give them some terms and the buzzwords, and I want you to tell me what comes to mind as soon as I say this word. If that makes sense. Okay. 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 So the first word is design thinking. Okay. So what comes to mind when I say that? Oh. The first things come in mind when you say design thinking, it's a lot of, um, how you say, buzzword, <laughs> very probably commercial and marketing terms right now to, to selling uh, a better way to work, uh, to selling some kind of workshop for the clients and uh, stuff like that. Okay. I feel, you know, I, I spend a lot of time to analyze what's happening around this world. And I really see over the time, especially in the last five or six years, this term has become more as a, 
just marketing products that people sell versus actually what they really represent itself. Okay, okay. Um, the next term is experience design. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another ambiguous term. <laughs> well, experience, experience design, I think a lot of people uh, are thinking in the market when we're talking about experience design is more like uh, create uh, an experiential space like, I don't know, you enter in a beautiful museum or shop or an, an event, you experience a momentum in some way versus uh, for me, is more like uh, what actually the, the entire business is right now. I mean, we we experience life, we experience uh, work, we experience our sh- consuming life, if you want. And I think uh, there are this big distinction between people are always thinking in a smaller part of what actually this type is meaning. Okay. Okay, and we'll do one more. Um, yeah. Employee experience. What comes to mind when I say that? <laughs> That's another big question right now. <laughs> Your questions are very tricky because of actually each one we would acquire maybe a lot of time we're talking about. I don't know. I feel like, um, yeah, experience design. Uh, sorry, not experience design. Employee, employee experience right now it's become a very, is a one of the terms we are going to see much more often on the market. It's become always more and more and more important, but I feel it's become important because it's about a generational change right now in the market, in the, in the, work, in the workplace. We have a new generation are uh, joined to the companies and they are they have a different mindset. They are see the work more as a place where make a valuable contribution, where actually they want to make a change. They want to be part of uh, the system of the company itself. Whereas the previous generation, they see the work more like a, a task-oriented job. You go, in, you go to work for do something. The new generation is expecting to go into work and be valuable for the business. Let's change the way they see the jobs. And because now we talk about a lot of uh, employee experience is because the generation, new generation, they're expecting that, they expect an experience from the job place. And, um, and I think it's become very, very, very important because uh, there are completely new type of expectation from the workforce. Okay. Okay. So, so it, I guess kind of, you know, we, we, we've engaged quite a bit back and forth on, on, you know, on LinkedIn and whatnot, but maybe for, for my, um, for my listeners, maybe you could give us a bit of a, a bit of a brief tour of, of kind of who you are and where you've come from yeah, and, sure. and where, uh, right through to where you are right now, I guess. Sure. Let me try to be in short. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm Italian. I grew up in Italy, and now I'm living in the United States, New York. Uh, I got married right now, uh, two, two years ago, here in New York. I definitely become a New Yorker. Is <laughs> how I consider myself right now. Um, I always, let's say, since I was a, a kid, ten years old, I always wanted to do something in the space of uh, design and creativity. Was all was clear to me. Was my <laughs> my path. But of course, I have no idea what actually does it mean. Uh, 
I start early, I have to say, I'm one of the generation start uh, with a Commodore 64, as many other, I believe. Okay. I, I coded my first games when I was uh, 14. I learned to code because I want to design the game. <laughs> I, I started to work uh, when I was 19 in a small graphic studio in my town. And from that, actually, I, I explore 3D animation and visual design. In the 1995, I was lucky to have the, one of the first internet access points in my town because the office where I was working was really close to the internet point. And I, I learned and I discovered internet. I started to do my first website, it was 1995 and be fascinated by the idea of interaction design, where for interaction, I don't mean limited to the design, the interface for the, in the computer, but as well, how the people interact with each other, no? and embrace more like a psychological uh, perspective about how the things are working together. In the 90, let's say probably the big uh, milestone of my life happened in the 1997, 98 where I have my personal website. The personal website at the time was one of the few websites fully developed with the Macromedia Flash, a very, technology very popular at the time. And it made me very popular online. Uh, I, was, I actually had 200,000 unique visitors in my website every month. It was actually a huge number for 1988. That gave me a lot of visibility. I start to work with a lot of international company. In the 1999, I have the Wall Street Journal. This is like a curious story. The Wall Street Journal called me on my mobile phone. And of course, I was, I was a young guy. I have no experience. I was speaking very, very a little English, scholastic English. And I got this call. And I heard someone say on the phone, hi, we are Wall Street Journal. And I was like, uh, as a joker, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is talking about? <laughs> I know. I have, let me thinking. I have twenty. I was twenty four years old, and actually, the this guy from was the journal. They discovered my website. They'd be impressed about how I was. I have a completely different vision about what was the online experience, and they told me, "Listen, we are thinking to develop the the millennial edition of the Wall Journal line." And we want to create like a very futuristic vision about what can be the digital space in the future. And I think you would be the right person to helping us to design this idea. And I was, and, and I mean, from a side, I was uh, excited. The other side, I was uh, scared because it was something completely new for me. <laughs> first, I have a problem to understand the English. Second, I have like, for the first time, talking with someone who was sound for me more like a, I don't know, a god. <laughs> it was very, very, very uh, unusual uh, situation. But definitely from that point, everything has changed for me. In 1999, my personal uh, job has become an agency. I, I have my first agency. I have people I believe and trust in me. They put some money. We built this company together. I stay in this company for three years after I learn uh, some important things like never make a company with people have much more money of you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very useful. From that point, I started working as a consultant, as a freelancer for almost 10, eight years. 
with a lot of people, especially in the US. I have a client in California, I have a client in New York. I start to shift my focus from do only web design, interaction design, and what at the time we call platform design. Ethereum actually represents everything we do today in terms of products and service design or uh, general uh, experience design. But you know, at the time, we talk about 2003, 2004, uh, it, we don't have this kind of terms. We don't have this kind of culture. Everyone will say, oh, we need to design and create a platform. And I did a lot of work uh, in, uh, for healthcare, fitness, uh, education platform, uh, e-commerce platform. It was actually a great learning for me until I come out on 2008, if I remember, yeah. Uh, I decide I need to work with some structure, some company, because I want to learn more about what's happening in that space. And I work for a, an agency in Milan, Leobourne, who have the client Fiat at the time before the emerging with the, the Chrysler. And at that point, I'm moving to New York for LGA, where I start to work in another big platform at the time, like Nike Plus or MasterCard uh, for the, the future of the digital payment. But another big milestone for my career definitely have been 2011, when actually I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, completely different from New York City. And in Phoenix, Arizona, I'm starting to work as a chief design officer for this venture incubator, where actually we help um, early stage startup to grow and actually to become a company. And what I was curious at the time, this early startup was usually founded by a personal investor or private investor, or sometimes a small or medium company, where actually they have the vision for a new business opportunity, but they don't have the power or the experience or the, the, the right context to develop a new completely business from scratch. And as a venture incubator, we have these people uh, to starting this kind of new business. And for me, it was a great because finally I have the opportunity to explore not only design in terms of shipping products and services, but as well, what you need around for making the products and services become successful. I mean, what kind of impact an organization you need around? What kind of business model you need around? How you monetize? How are you planning? How you growth? How you actually engage with the audience? It was for me, great moving forward. And at that point, I realized, okay, I see a big connection between what I'm doing and this design perspective with things I usually is not considered design. And I have an opportunity to move in New York in 2014 for Ogilvy. And, and now, you know, Ogilvy, it's one of the iconic company in marketing and advertising and brand. As a large corporation, right now we have uh, 40,000 people worldwide. Uh, and I say, you know, Mirko, if you move in a company like this, you have an unbelievable opportunity to understand and explore more design in a, in a space of complexity. Not only complexity for the client they have, but complexity as well, in ogilvy as well, how design can change or can find a space in a complex structure uh, as this one. And uh, I take the opportunity and I move to New York and I start to work in Ogilvy as head of design. What I'm, what I'm trying to do is definitely 
50% of my time figured out and helping the design to find the proper space in the organization and in, in which area can provide the help and the other 50% actually working on the client side. This is my my career in short. Okay, so kind of, it, it's fascinating. Your journey sounds really, actually really kind of one of one of growth and, and excitement, I think. Um, but kind of, so, you know, for me, Michael, you're, you're one of the people, you know, I've, I've read your book, which we'll touch upon for sure. But, you know, for me, you're, if someone was to say to me, what, where do you want to be in, in, you know, in four years time to me, I would say I would want to be kind of like where, where Mirko is right now and kind of working for a company like Ogilvy who, who are kind of, you know, who are great. But maybe you could kind of share, maybe share what a day in the life of you mm-hmm. looks like from a professional point of view and, and kind of what, what does a standard day look like for you? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I mean, I think this is a question I ask myself as well many times. I remember when I was um, 20, 24 years old, I was dreaming, oh my God, one day I will work in this office where actually maybe I can see New York from the window, you know. And now sometimes, actually that's happened <laughs> almost every day. And I realized, oh my God, I realized my dream. I can't believe it. You know, that's kind of weird things you're never thinking about, but actually, at a certain point in your life, if you stay focused on the same things, you get it. And, and now I'm more like in the phase where I, I'm 43 years old. Uh, I, I definitely reached my goal in the life, but at the same time, I, I don't feel to be on the final destination at all. Actually, I'm, I feel like to be on the beginning of something else, but I have no idea again what is it. For sure, what I what I like and what I'm passionate about is I know there is always a different way to do the things. And all the time I, I see people don't open their eyes to think in that way. That made me passionate about to work on that area. Uh, I don't know what can be really my future. I really, really know the year what I will be in the next four or five years, but I know for sure what I want to do is always continue to looking for different way to see the problem, different way to facing this kind of work and job, but thinking different and inspiring people, helping people to change idea, change perspective. That's definitely something I want to do. Maybe, I don't know, maybe one day I'm going to finish teaching, what actually would be one of my dreams in some way. I have no idea if it can happen because I don't have any academic background, you know, I didn't, I learned my work and my, and I developed my career by working. I never been in any sort of university. Unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity, but definitely, let's say, I don't know if I see myself in four or five years, but my dream over the time will be having an opportunity to teach. Okay. Okay. And I think, I think that that will be, that'll be fascinating to watch and be part of I think so kind of you know when when we kind of look into your book and we're talking about yeah. in your book we talk about kind of culture and org structure and org design so, so how is how is the culture and organizational structure at at um at Oglevy? is it is it is it is it one of you know when we look at your hierarchy can we mm-hmm. talk from this like lone wolf right all the way up to kind of 
going teal and the, the steps between that. But if you were to, if I was to ask you kind of what does that look like where you are right now, how would that match? Well, I mean, let me, let me give you a big insight before actually why I dedicated this time or this kind of spec. Now, in many years, I was working in different projects and startups. You know, I learned something that was fascinating for me. I met in my life a lot of people with amazing ideas. A lot of people with incredible technology or fantastic proposals. And what I learned all the time, if someone didn't make in business or uh, uh, um, in general, making their idea become popular, always been by one simple reason. They don't have the right mindset or they don't have the right organization around to make the things happen. And that's actually triggered me the idea, okay, I, I need to work more on the context of what I'm designing for make what I'm designing come to life. And in Ogilvy, it's, uh, it's a challenging, not because actually with is no understanding of the value of the organization, there are a lot, actually a lot of smart people can provide a valuable contribution. The problem is when you work in a large organization and you work with the, and many other large companies as clients, you need to find a way to create a dialogue with this client. And each client have a completely different mindset, different assumption, uh, different methodology, and, and again, organization itself. Events become difficult now to uh, create a unified way of working because you need to be different often with each client you have. And that actually has become fascinating for me because you see the organization must be more, less as a structure, more as a fluid. You need to act more like in a living organism and less as a machine. <laughs> and uh, it's become an everyday learning, an everyday change. You cannot define a method and process. You have to define a way of thinking. And by using that way of thinking every day, change your method and change your process to match the context. Yeah, I think, I think, I had one of my aha moments was from your book, mm. um, and I think I think one of the titles of the chapters was kind of like this design thinking, and actually it's a, d a design as a way of thinking, not design thinking. Correct. That's kind of what I took from it anyway. But I kind of I love that that thing because you know I'm kind of the first person to kind of say design thinking okay, but you know design thinking has a lot of flaws, a, a hell of a lot of flaws I think, and actually what you what you've done by just kind of tweaking that sentence it kind of gave me my aha moment actually what what i what i like to think i do is is look at design as a way of thinking and not design thinking mm -hmm. so i kind of when did you when did you have that kind of that aha moment i guess for you to kind of come up with that kind of design as as a way of thinking oh good question i i'm by the feeling in the latest years because you know that the term design thinking has become extremely popular in the last four or five years. Before, I think it was something very, very few people was mentioning. Very few people have an idea what it was and what does it mean. And I start, I think it was three or four, four years ago, definitely. I'm starting to follow all this kind of uh, community buzz about design thinking. And you know, there are a lot of 
people give a, a, an incredible contribution of that. The guys of IDEO, uh, as well as many other companies as Fjord, um, uh, Frog Design, they did really a huge contribution to the community to understanding this one. But I realized everyone, they talking about different ways to do the things. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I agree with everything. But let me thinking, okay, why uh, everyone uh, are correct? I mean, I agree, I agree with everyone, but everyone's a little bit different. I mean, it should be something else. And I start to realize uh, maybe we need to make it uh, very different between what is design thinking as a workshop for teaching people how to work with the kind of design mindset. And what actually is the design as a way of thinking that neutral, not an holistic approach? What are the fundamental make you uh, making a choice? And my haha moment was okay, maybe the design as a way of thinking is not a way to work, it's more like a way to make a choice. Uh, and that's changed everything for me. And I see. This one, just as a way to define what is more important for me to do next, I realized it was actually how I was always working. And unfortunately, I come back to the initial uh, consideration is what always made my point of view ambiguous. You know? Because people say, oh, you always change the way you do the things. And I always say, no, I, I, I'm still always making action and uh, do the things uh, using the same approach. And I realized because it was not an approach, it was actually just a way to make a choice. Hmm. So, so, and I, I think one of the biggest issues, and, and you kind of mentioned it already, but you know, the term design thinking is a marketing term now. It's it's kind of been watered down way away from its original um, yeah. intent of what it was for. And and actually, one of my biggest questions, which I'm which I'm kind of challenging the company with at the moment, is. We're marketing design thinking, and actually we should really be saying mm. human-centered design, because design thinking is this kind of tool set, let's just say this mindset, mm -hmm. but actually human-centered design will never go out of, out of um, you know, being the exciting new thing. Fundamentally, everything needs to be human-centered design. It needs to be thinking about the human, their interactions, their touch points and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is, we, I think if you used to put it into kind of like a, a curve, you know, you've seen it come in, you've seen it kind of peak, and now all of a sudden you're seeing this design thinking, people are slowly going, mm, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I think I think the reason behind that is is because it's it's so watered down from the original idea of it. Oh, yeah. And I, I, can, I can tell you more, actually. I, what's up, what I see in the market happening is, in many cases, design thinking has become just a way to helping people to have a more systematic approach. In fact, there are actually different group of people are say, oh, this is not design thinking, this is system thinking. And that actually yeah. is very valuable for the company today, especially in the context we are living. In many other cases, design thinking has become synonymous about, oh, this is a, a new way of collaboration and working. It's a different way to removing cultural silos in the organization. And it's to be very valuable, but that's another thing. I mean, uh, I definitely how you say design uh, design thinking has become very marketing term, very inclusive, representing a lot of different things, uh, and is going to help in the 
group of people, companies, or community to learn different, completely different things. But yeah, it's become it's going to become a little bit different from what was initially identified as I think as a way, you know, to define uh, how the design mindset take connection. And something else, actually, I'm still realize my haha moment was. You know, in many years, I think everyone have experienced that. When you work in a large team, you have always two sides of people. Vets see the problem and, and try to change the situation or solve the problem. And the other side of the people uh, usually try to don't change the situation, but just make working the things how they are. It's a classic you know, challenge you've seen a team where you have let's say, a developer or a designer from the side, you know, and the strategist and, the, I don't know, the businessman from the other side discussing and find a way to solve the problem with a different way. And as a lies, we have always these two types of mindset, the design as a way of thinking and the strategy as a way of thinking, where the design make an assumption to, I have to make a change for making the optimization and created the condition to solve the problem of um, actually making happen the things I want to do. Versus the strategic thinking, start with assumption to I'm not changing the system, what we're talking about, and I'm just trying to fill in the gap. I see the system and to grow. And that was the moment when I say, okay, the design as a way of thinking is something different. It's more like the, how I want to approach the problem versus how I'm working to solve the problem. Yeah, and I think what, what we're seeing now with design thinking as well is actually, well, I guess kind of looking at, at kind of my industry, mm-hmm. I think people are marketing ideation sessions as design thinking, Yeah, for one. And I actually think a lot of people are applying design thinking overlay on a very weak um, and probably a very light touch mm-hmm. when actually it's not really uprooting the real problem, which, which you know, sometimes it is the system, you know, it, yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, it's that kind of why, 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 why. And then you get to kind of a root of actually what the problem is. And the problem is that system approach, not yeah. necessarily this end result approach. Correct. That's, so, that's, that's very difficult to teach to the people now, like you don't have to solve the problem. You have to change the system for create the condition because that problem will be solved yeah and it, and it is that kind of movement of all parts not of one um but it's, it's a really interesting one and i feel like we could probably just talk about this for an hour alone <laughs> but I, I guess kind of just just trying to get back into kind of this um just a little bit more about you, I guess, Mirko. So, yeah. you know, I think I think when we go into these businesses and, you know, we go for interviews and we go for, you know, our next job, our next career step, we're always told to kind of to, to sell the best self. And actually, I think the better question to ask is actually what was your what was your biggest failure? You know, I, I kind of like to think, mm. you know, what does your failure resume look like? So if I was to ask you in your whole space of your career, Mirko, what, what's been the the biggest failure what you've come up against and maybe it's a failure which in the instance it was a failure but actually you know later on down the line it's ended up being a massive positive for you mm. what what moment jumps out to you okay that's a very good question 
let me try to frame. Uh, there are parts of me where I actually uh, see a lot of failure in my life. Uh, failure, professionally talking, where actually I've been probably in the right position, in the right moment, on the right idea, and uh, I didn't, I was not able to take all the proper advantage from that momentum in these ideas. Uh, I told you in the past, I, I made agency, I made company with other people. Um, when I was in Phoenix, technically, it could be actually a great opportunity for me as well for my entire life and be like, you know, done for <laughs> from now until uh, the end of my days. It didn't happen. Um, that because probably I didn't have that uh, approach with the people to be sometimes very direct. I know I'm I'm a person. I'm still always learning. I'm still always thinking. Is there always someone outside know more of me? I never feel to be myself. You know, like someone know the things or uh, be on the top of the pyramid. I always feel myself as someone is in the middle bottom of the pyramid. And sometimes that approach actually is, not, is usable, but not always usable because sometimes you need to have more leadership. And if you see a problem coming, you need to be able to um, lead in the situation and try to avoid that problem coming. Um, but in the same times, all the time, I didn't have this kind of you know, behavior or approach in the life. I'm happy about all the failure I experienced because if I know this kind of things today and I'm still doing what I'm doing today, it's just because I'm, I learned from this situation. But actually, again, I'm in that kind of ambiguous position where I realize that I fail a lot of things, but I'm happy about the failure I made it. Uh, yeah, definitely, I know it's kind of sound weird. I don't, I feel failure. I feel that I've made failure, but at the same time, no. Okay. Okay. So, so if, okay, let me set a scene for you. Let's pretend mm. you, you know, I don't know, baseball or something, and, and a million fans are coming out of a baseball stadium. And as mm. we come out of a stadium, all the million fans are going to see a billboard. Okay. Mm. What okay. would you, what would you, what would you put on that billboard for a million fans to see? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, tell me more about the, the situation. Yeah, the yeah. So, <laughs> so this could be this this billboard. It could be the thing to kind of, you know, what what quotes or what what would you say to kind of inspire, motivate a million people? What would you put oh, on that billboard? What message? Okay. Well, definitely, I can tell you, and I'm pretty sure about that. That's my favorite question ever. Uh, what if okay uh and i can tell you why actually my wife uh, she always joking about that because she said why you always have this kind of question what if i told you i always believe it's about a different way to do things uh i always believe uh, the things that we see always can be a little bit different and i think asking to yourself all the time especially when you know you like feel like oh maybe uh that everything is going wrong or, or i don't know what to do 
oh, okay, now I'm, I don't know, I'm confused. Starting asking, what if something's different? What if maybe we lost the match, but actually this is not a loss. What if uh, maybe I don't find a job, but maybe that's an opportunity for me to think about something I never think about. I have another opportunity to do. That is what always triggers a different way of thinking. That's what always makes you realize what can be your next step forward. And I've always this idea that things can be different, the things maybe you never be right, or maybe you never be wrong. That's definitely my favorite uh, quote or question or inspiration of things. Give the people the opportunity to think about is there always something different outside? Is there always different way to do things? Where always people maybe are not always against you, but there are people are thinking like you. You are not alone. That's for me is the most important things. Okay. okay. You billboard with what if? Ask like yourself. That. I like it. I like it. So if I was to ask you, if you had to give a gift of a book to five mm-hmm. people, and maybe this is a book okay. what has either changed your mindset on things or, you know, shaped your, your perception on, on life or whatnot. But if you was to give one book as a gift to five people, what book would okay. you give? Mm. It could be, I have many books, actually, I like it, I love it. But probably one book actually changed, change actually, being impactful for me, definitely. It's a book, this is a story actually, some kind of diary, on the life diary of um, an Italian journalist, and it's called Tiziano Terzani. He, this guy has spent uh, like decades, decades to be a, a journalist for a, a very important European magazine and in the East Asia. He always been a guy is a very, very uh, pragmatic, uh, talking about war or uh, social problem. And in his book, actually, he tell his journey, where actually he realized over the time he spent uh, in the, to be very pragmatic, you know, talking about money, talking about war, talking about social. He shared actually his evolution, his evolution of his soul uh, to become from uh, skeptics about everything was, uh, I don't know, like uh, in Asian culture, magic uh, or uh, spiritual or other no realistic things. And it's become actually someone much more uh, passionate about this kind of uh, ambiguous uh, side of the life unclear uh, where actually people can have a completely different perspective. And I love it because he shared how valuable it was for him at a certain point in his life to understanding another part of the life he always rejected. He never wants to learn more. And that's change. It gave me an idea about, yes, maybe what I'm doing, I'm not the only one to, to start to look at the truth and understanding what I have to do in my life as well in the space. I never look at it. And it's come back to the, my question, you know, what if, what actually you, you have considered something you never thinking was an option. Okay. 
So, so kind of taking you back a little bit to, and this question yeah. can take you back to actually wherever. But in your in your whole lifespan, can yeah. you remember the very first time you ever got in trouble? For the first time I got in trouble. And maybe this was as a child or, or whatnot. Uh no, and I mean fire fortunately never happened. <laughs> I never felt in trouble in that way. Um I felt more like um but for me something happened when I was younger. Uh when I was in my first company when I told you I learned that don't make a company with the people who have much money of you. It was a certain point where actually I spent a lot of here working with this company because I felt it was more like my baby. I felt it was my mind, her life, and make sense, do everything I can do for the company. But one day things has changed and I realized, I asked myself, oh, this situation is really weird frustrating this is Mirko I know this is your baby I know this is the company is your life but this is what you really want to do in your life or maybe it's about something else and I start to change my approach with the stakeholder and of course that creates uh, kind of um, fighting situation and that was the problem I mean it was the probably the first time where I felt oh I'm in trouble right now. I'm in trouble with something bigger than me. And that's definitely was the first time after that. Um, I don't know. I think probably I'm feeling trouble every time I'm trying to do the things in a different way because after that, <laughs> you know, it's a fight in some way. Yeah. No. Figure out how to, to, to go ahead. Sometimes it's a good trouble, you know. Yeah. No, exactly. I think, I think, I think it's that inner rebel and mm-hmm. inside you, you know, it can be, I think we see that a lot of times, you know, sometimes yeah. people look at it and go, oh, he's just kind of disruptive. When actually you're doing disruption for challenge and for change and, mm-hmm. you know, it can be perceived different ways. So I think, I think it's natural to have that rebellious side, definitely. And I think, it, I think yeah. it's actually a really good trait to have. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. You, you say you need to have some courage to do. I remember, I should probably now realize that one of the recent situations where I felt in trouble was uh, a few years ago when I said, you know, I have, a, I think I have a lot of things to say and I want to share the things I wanted to say. And I'd like uh, have an opportunity to participate in some like conference, like the last one I did. And I remember I started to talk with different people. I started to writing articles and share and see what's happening until one day the opportunities happened. And I was like, oh God, okay, it's happening. And now I'm in trouble. What I'm doing? <laughs> no in trouble for what I have to say, but just tell because I, I normally I never used to be someone like to go in the stage and talk, you know, you know, I never be the kind of alpha type person. And you're in the moment that actually you get what you want, but you have to learn how you do it. It's <laughs> a it's a cool kind of travel, but it's stressful. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, especially if, if you kind of not that isn't your world. But I think yeah. I think we have kind of, well, we do. We we have a mutual um, friend contact in Joel Pine. Um, yeah. But I guess taking Joe out of it for a second, 
and you know yeah. you know i think we've we've both said the experience economy has been a great book for us and you know i, mm-hmm. I personally speaking for me i've took a lot from it but yeah maybe you could share a little bit about your take on kind of the experience economy and and, and actually why sure. why it was important to you yeah sure but uh, one mention about job planning because uh, for me it was actually uh, a great relation um i was already working on this book and uh, um, I didn't know the existence of all the work of Japan did on ex- uh, experience economy part, you know. Because of course I was uh, working on this book and tried to define more what I learned in my life and how I see based on the experience I have in my life. Everything was around an experience of like, people were actually really focused on that experience. And the middle of writing my book, randomly I discovered Japan, and I started to read his book and then read all the work he did. And it was fascinating for me because I felt, okay, maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing something wrong. Maybe I actually, I see something right. And I'm the only, only one actually believe in something different. And I have a great admiration for what he did, actually, all the work he did so far for me still be, uh, I'm a big fan of what he's doing. Mm. And I was happy because I realized again what I was doing with my book was something more like complementary on his work. I was much more focused about okay, how created the the condition for deliver that kind of experienced business uh, approach. How the organization should be organized. You took I took it before. Now when I was in the startup world, I was kind of about not only to ship the product, but how to ship the contest necessary around the product for be successful and I realized that my approach was all about creating experience-based business and yeah I mean all the entire work will start uh, around this uh, this kind of approach so so I guess for for me um, you know kind of moving on to your book actually now and for me like like I mentioned at the beginning you know for me it was when I read your book I was like Finally, there's quite a decent book out. What's you know, there's a there's a decent book out there. What's about this kind of modern look at kind of thinking, um, to, you know, this modern thinking to design and and like I say, design as thinking mm-hmm. and actually just understanding the the corporate world as well. I think you know you you know the organisational structures and stuff, but but kind of what why why did you choose so to again? Sorry, I lost the moment. Yeah, just just kind of understanding why. Why it was that you chose to write a book? Yeah, how was that for you as an experience? Yeah, I mean, it was actually random because I told you I started to sharing all my things and um, my ideas two three years ago. Writing article online on Medium on LinkedIn. I'm start to be part of some conference and be part of in, in some conference. Uh, I approach different people with brilliant ideas. And I was starting thinking, um, and I want to talk about this kind of characteristic later, but my superpower is see pattern. And I want to talk to you later about the superpower. Uh, and all of these things I was doing, I'm, I was seeing always more often like a, a connection between everything. And I realized I need to understand what exactly is this connection and why does it mean? And I see between 
the idea of the experience economy, I see a connection with the rise of design thinking in the market. I see a connection with the rise of this approach to be agile. Everyone talking about agile is not a big buzzword. I see a rise in the problem uh, in the market. The company has, oh, how we talk with a millennial is a new generation. Maybe having a different way. I see an incredible connection actually between the incredible uh, business the new economy made compared to the old business. Why the new economy actually made uh, rise so quickly? They made company uh, turning in a one billion company in two years, but actually, you know, in the past, we have uh, incredible businesses as spent maybe 20, 20 years to become a billion company. Why this company was uh, rising faster, better, more solid, and create more innovation, everybody asked, what was the, the difference between all these kind of things? And um, I was writing article, 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 until at a certain point I realized, oh, I have a, a narrative for connecting all these kind of things. I need a connect, I see a connection between all these kind of things. Maybe I can write a book and connect and, and explain this kind of pattern I see between all the things. And that's how the, my book actually started. Um, last October, I started to take all this kind of content research I did and started to put all the things together. In November, December, I wrote uh, and tried to find the uh, final bit the narrative for connecting everything and give everything. And I spent January and the beginning of February to do my proof review and the proof reading Thank you to the support of my wife, who she is a proper American and English speaker and writer. And I published the book. It was actually a pretty fast process because uh, it was the result of the work I did in the last three, four years. So, so kind of just just kind of jumping into that book, and and for them who who don't know the book, the book's called um, Agencies, Agencies, Agencies and Brands in um, the Employee Experience. But it kind of is. Is I think I think the book is is fascinating for me personally. But kind of getting in, and I I will I put the the in the show notes a link to the book for people to kind of go ahead and buy that for sure. But you know when you look at your your chapters of your book, which which one was your the most favorite for you to write or research about? My favorite chapter because I probably more. Uh, attachable that is probably uh, the last part when I actually I took more about uh, give some indication about what can be the leadership or the management mindset in this kind of context because I think it's talking about a lot of interesting uh, different way to approaching uh, the things okay. uh, I'm still thinking in particular um, a specific chapter. Let me think of a moment. Um, do, do. Well, definitely uh, the mindset of the leadership, I think uh, the ability to, I mean, you know, everyone in the market talking about uh the market is in continuous change the company the business how you approach you you always must be ready to change and that's create a, a, a new things 
Now you need to be able to lead the team to feel comfortable to explore the unknown, you know, to take in the direction to uncertain path, because that's the only way actually you can make innovation. And this approach is very common in the new economy company, like, you know, we have seen company like Facebook or Amazon, many other robots are crazy, but there's no common approach in the large organization. I never meet usually a manager feel happy to take another the lead in an uncertain and unknown path or ideas because it's, it's risky. Versus now, we need to be able to feel causing about that. We need to figure out our methodology to, to take a risk and maybe transform the risk. Uh, this is coming back to the question of what if the risk and knowing the, just the risk might be an opportunity. And I think that's the, my favorite part. Okay. Okay. So, so I guess kind of, kind of looking at kind of, you know, we talk about experiences and we use that term to, to mean many different things. But if I was yeah. to ask you kind of, Michael, what, what, what do you think the future of experiences is? What, what would you say to that? And for me, it's the idea to consider the business as an experience. I mean, consider the outcome and the purpose of the business as an experience where business don't sell products don't sell services, but products and services serve only for the purpose to deliver a specific kind of experience. And if you want a sample, I give you one very pragmatic. Thinking about Apple, everyone know Apple. Apple has been probably since job, Steve Jobs as back in Apple in the end in the 90s, the first company moving forward with this approach and follow Apple, many other new economic companies. But if you're thinking about when Apple introduced in the beginning of 2000, the first iPod, I don't know if you remember how many critics they got it, how many people in the market say, what Apple is doing? Why Apple now is moving into the digital Walkman business? And everyone was confused. The same things happen again in the 2006, I think, when uh, uh, they introduced the iPhone. Again, everyone was like, what Apple is doing, why they shift into the mobile phone industry. They want to change it. They are a computer company. Why we do a smartphone? Instead of actually, for me, what was behind the main thing on the leadership, especially for Steve Jobs at the time in Apple was, we are selling an experience. If whatever is necessary for deliver that experience, to create the condition to deliver that experience, and the value the experience provide, we are going to put on the market. And Apple, iPhone, Apple Watch, Apple TV, there's only a few of the necessary products or services they need for offer that. And for me, it looks like that's working very well because today, based on the, on the survey, we, we can see people in general are more attached to the experience rather than the brands. That means, if the experience is good, they stay with you. But if the experience is not good, doesn't matter if you love, they love your brand, they never stay with you again. And Apple understood that, and now they have one of the huge community attached to them, not because actually they love the brand, but they love the experience that brand provides. And that's for me is a big, big change. And this is how I see the future of the business, where a business 
must be focused to offer an holistic experience. And whatever needed for deliver that, best will actually make our sell in the market. Yeah, so so I completely agree. I think when we look at kind of this employee experience or even the employee um, life cycle, actually what you mm-hmm. what you're doing is it's a it's a a grand experience design broken down into macro experiences and moments mm-hmm. and then broken down again into kind of nano experiences yeah. it's a consistent the employee experience or life cycle or whatever you know it is just it's a collection of, of moments what matter and and i think exactly. it's interesting to see how how some industry some companies i guess are kind of going with that and some are still very very stuck in the past and and oh, then, yeah and then I guess the same question is, you know, the people who are struggling in the past are asking the question, why can't we attract the talent? And, well, you've kind of got your answer, right? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, a generational uh, gap now, a shifting. We are thinking about the new generation. And I'm not talking about only the millennial. I'm talking especially coming down to the generation zero, actually kids now facing the college. They are a generation grow up in the reality in the world hyper-connected. That means we people, these people, not only well understand how the system dynamics operate and they are comfortable with that, they know how to live with the system, With the, especially thinking about we live in, a, in an age where we live with a system around us, working with us, uh, living with us. These people know what's the value of being able to deliver from the system and combine all the things properly together. The previous generation, no. The previous generation, they adapt to this kind of new world. They learn how to survive in this new world, but they don't know how to take advantage from this world. The new generation, yes. And that's why they are a preference, a tendency to prioritize experiences versus everything else. And in the workplace, it's the same things. They realize they don't want to do a task-oriented job because they know that task-oriented job doesn't produce any value in the business. They want to do a job more holistic. They want to experience the workplace in a way is more similar to an experience because that's in the way they can be part of the business. That's in the way they be able to produce value to the business itself. But how you say it's as a as a completely different way of thinking and working expectation yeah no no i agree and i think i think it's going to be one an interesting one to watch um oh yeah and kind of see that transformation and that that kind of that sway because like you say you know most organizations are kind of like an organism it's kind of it's 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 organic right it eaves and flows and it moves it's not a static thing it's it, exactly. It's never. It never has been. How can it be when it's got so much movement happening in and around it? Exactly. He the business today must always less and less look like a machine. It must be more and more become more as a living organism. Decentralized, less structured, more uh, aligned in the in, in the way of thinking, and be adaptable responsive to the world. Actually, it's about something else I want to share with you. I think it's so fascinating for me. It's about a fantastic book wrote by Professor Greg Lukianoff. He's a professor of NYU in New York. 
um, and he wrote this book called The Coddling of the American Mind, where he observed what's the behavioral change in the new generation. And what he says, new generation actually, they grow up in an economic context where, yes, the price of technology compared to the past has dropped down. If you're thinking about today, everyone have a phone, a digital phone, a smartphone, because it's, it's affordable. 20 years ago, it was impossible. And on the other hand, the cost of the, of the life, like healthcare, uh, housing, education, food, has rise. And if the, for the past generation, that kind of things was uh, affordable. And if you have a job and you make an assumption, you can have it. Today, there's no anymore. Today, the new generation, they grow up and they know. Having a job doesn't mean to be able to afford enough care, uh, quality life, having ha buy a house or buy good food. This is going to impact in this generation Z in a way they are feel no anymore in charge of their life. They have fear. They have fear of being left missing out from the system, this kind of new system of society. And for this reason, they reflect this kind of stress and fear, and, and it's become evident, especially in the college right now, with a huge attention of a fact like uh, inclusion, inclusion on diversity, uh, safety, not only physical, but as well uh, psychological and emotional. And, and the result is like, you know, you see every day in the media, young guys fighting for uh, equality or inclusion of diversity and taking some political sides. You see the kids uh, become uh, in, the first, in the first line defending for protecting the climate and the system of the climate because they know it's, they must be inclusive of everything. And um, talking about gender in the, in the college, more often this professor was telling, people expect to don't use the term like she or he, but they prefer to use more term like Z for be sure to don't offend anyone or discriminate any diversity on the people. That's fascinating for me because that is going to change, have an impact in the workplace because these people are the people are going to be in the company in the future. It will be the future leaders of the company where for them, the value to work is no, just do something better, but is create a better inclusive a participative uh, workplace. And in this, I see the connection with the rising of the experience, uh, employee experience value. You must be focused to deliver a great experience, employees uh, value because this generation, they are attached to factor more relevant uh, uh, to the experience rather than just uh, do a simple job. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll definitely check that book out. Um... I think I may have seen, yeah. I think I came across that actually in one of your blog posts. Um, I think you referenced it yeah, in a blog be. post. Yeah, so I'll definitely check that one out. But it kind of leads me on to my next question, actually. Mm. So so obviously, you know, assuming our listeners now, there's, there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's an audience member who, who, who is listening to this and kind of thinks, actually, I want to be the next head of design. I want to be the next, you know, Mirko in, in my business. And I want to I wanna mm. be that. What, what, for, what would be the four 
books you would recommend as a as a as a a reading list to kind of get to from where they are now to kind of get into you and I know that's a hard challenge because you know there's many books what shape our mm-hmm. minds but what four jump out to you well um it can be many books but definitely one is very useful for understand actually I mean if you want to work in the design in the future you need to be able to understand how changing things how transforming things and probably much more often in the mind of the people rather than in the in the products you you create you know in that way I think the last book of uh, Tim Brown from Ideal uh, changed by design it's very inspiring it can give you a lot of insight about how design can play a different role in things you usually have no consider part of the design expectation or a design outcome yeah it's a, it's a great book that I ended up buying that twice so I bought it okay. I bought the audio book version and then I bought the the kind of the you know the standard book version just because there were so many notes I kind of wanted to take away and yeah. and kind of just bookmark more than anything so yeah that's a great book any any more what jumped to mind what's it is there any, is there any more books what kind of jumped to mind no at the moment um but you know I, I I like I do always an experiment when I, when I try to explain to the people what what's the mean the connection between design and uh, innovation, all this kind of stuff. And I recommend something everyone should do. If you're looking for in Amazon or any other website uh, provide books, on a, uh, in iBook, for example, you're looking for like for keywords like design, transformation, change, or innovation. You will be surprised how many books are existing talking about the same relation between design and these three words change transformation and innovation in all these books i believe is there something you should find inspiring something can be valuable for you people never realize that but the design is the only way is the only, i mean the perspective design is the only way you can achieve transformation change and innovation and that's for me is fascinating Yes, no, no, definitely. So I guess kind of just kind of coming near to the end now, I guess, Mirko, and, and, and kind of these questions are kind of can be as deep or as light as you want with them. But I guess the next question. Yeah. Do you even like yourself? Yeah. I mean, uh, I told you, I have this kind of approach with my life. I... Uh, maybe I want to do different things. I want to learn more. I want to change. I'm, oh, I never stop in that way. And make me from inside be not happy about what I did so far because I know I, I can do better. My the other hands, actually, I, I like it. I like what I am. I like uh, what I did. Uh, uh, because I know I always try to do everything I can do it. I'm, I'm no regret. And when actually I fail, in the end of the day, I realize I learned something that's making me, okay, I did a step forward in any case. I never actually really just did a step back or just stop on stuck or stuck in, in, in a moment of my life. Okay, okay. 
great awesome so 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 kind of you know you you've mentioned you you're quite active on medium and on linkedin but mm-hmm. if i was to ask you who's who's a free people you would recommend to follow maybe it's linkedin maybe it's um twitter but who free people what yeah which free people would you recommend everybody should follow hmm okay Give me a few minutes to make some uh, some thinking about. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, exactly. If in the meantime I have another question, I'm working with. I'm in the front of the computer. I'm start to check in my list of people and say, okay, this is a guy I can recommend. Okay, okay, no, it's fine. So I guess yeah, the the other question then I guess is, you know, when we talk about innovation, you know, and innovation is a big buzzword, and for me sometimes innovation is about making things actually just much much simpler than what we need to be. It's not the yeah. next, you know, the next shiny new device or the next, you know, insert whatever. Sometimes it's about making things simpler. But if I was to ask you, what does innovation mean to you? What What would you say to that? Well, actually, I'm very happy you asked me about this question because I'm still thinking to start sooner or later another book and talking about specific about innovation because I have a, a new, a, not a new theory, but I have a, my personal theory. I want to write a book and call um, Design, Ambiguity, and Innovation because I truly believe innovation is always behind ambiguity. And uh, learning how to deal with ambiguity, learning how to take in a direction of an uncertain direction, uh, an unknown path of something, that's the only way you can make it to reach innovation. But at the same time, it's challenging because people you know, people always say, oh, I want to do something better. I want innovation. But in the moment that we realize that they have often to do like maybe a step back for do a jump forward, they don't want it anymore. And that's how 90% of the case innovation died. Um, I'm fascinated by that. I want to try to write something around that because design as a way of thinking, is a way of thinking shape around the idea to exploring uncertain path. And that's why if you'll be able to apply design as a way of thinking to making choice, safe choice, miserable, uh, and at the point uh, comfortable in the business environment, you can take a lead into an uncertain path, uh, into ambiguity, what you know is going to lead to the innovation in the organization. That's actually what is now fascinating about me. And to close in, I always say, unfortunately, innovation is always in a, in a place is never designed yet. That's why people have struggled to figure out what, where and what is the innovation itself. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like it. Sounds like a good title for a book as well, for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to collect now some ideas, and I need to sometimes me too to figure out how I can explain properly in a simple way and in a valuable way these kind of things. Because I'd like to just create like a sort of guide to say, okay, it's cool. How we do it? <laughs> because at the end of the day, you need to give a, a valuable help to the people now. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think kind of bringing that back into the corporate context as well, I guess, you know, we yeah. see we see this a lot of time about this, you know, with, with great diversity comes great innovation because it's it's greater broad of ideas and, and, you know, without this diversity and inclusion, actually, 
it, it limits the innovation, you know, later on down the line. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a bridge from there to kind of this corporate diversity and, and, and kind of going back to the book which you mentioned around, you know, he or she, and actually there's, there's, a, there's probably a bridge there, just connecting some dots out loud, I guess. So so kind of, yeah, I mean, you know, right at the beginning of, of the... the um, at the start of this podcast, I kind of, you know, it's interesting when we get talking about what, you know, developing and, and ideas and shaping and what shaped you. But if I was to ask you, you know, we, we never stop growing and we're always developing. Mm-hmm. If I was to ask you now, Michael, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would your answer be? Now, I told you, I think I told you something in the beginning, you know, um, I, when when I was kid, definitely uh, I was thinking I, I want to do everything can be impactful. Everything can in some way change the world. I want to I want to do I want to be a designer. Mm, I was thinking about to be something like that without having a very clear idea what design is. actually we represent itself as a term. But today, today definitely I told you um. If I see myself when I grow up, I would love uh, having an opportunity to teach on some way, inspire people to think different, to think about it's about always different way to do the things and exploring this kind of do the, the, the things in different way. Awesome. Okay. So have you got some names for us for people who to follow? Yes. Yes. I have someone. Um... Let me check. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you as well the right maybe connection on the social media to follow. Okay, one is definitely someone I'm starting to follow in the last two three years, and I'm I'm a big fan of him. He's not a designer. Is a, a actually a marketing professor at NYU here in New York, and his name is Scott Galloway. I like it because. Is not a traditional marketing person. Uh, he has an incredible soul. It's a very um, provocative in a way. He's going to to talking and presenting his idea, and is a is a great, 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 fascinating man to follow. Scott Galloway. You can follow him on Twitter. He's very active on Twitter. You can you can see many presentation in in, in YouTube. He wrote a lot of books. Uh, that's definitely someone I recommend. Okay. Okay. And someone else definitely is someone else. Actually, I'm I'm discovering the latest here is Don Norman. Okay. Yeah, it's Don. Of, yeah, you know, is one I, who actually be focused on the idea of the user centered design, and I like him as well because it's controversial. It's another controversial person. Some someone always try to be. Uh, think in a different way compared to how the entire market is thinking about. Hmm. Yeah. His 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 book is great. You know, the design of everyday things. Have you read that one, Mirko? Yeah. Exactly. Such a good such a good, one book. a good book. So so I guess yeah, kind of kind of um coming to an end now. And and before before we we end, um right at the right right at the start of the, the kind of podcast I asked you to pick mm-hmm. four numbers yeah 
Okay, these numbers um, retaliate to a list of random items I have on my phone. Now, hmm. the story is you're on a desert island and you find these four items and you picked a candle, a lampshade, a ice cube and okay. some lipstick. So, you're on a desert island. What what do you do with these four items? Okay, I missed the first one. The first one was? Um, a candle. A candle. Hmm. Sound like... Uh, I can... Um, and I'm in a, the um, insulate island. Yeah, there's an island. Okay. I hope it's like a, like a sort of Caribbean island. <laughs> because at this point, I can organize on a, on a sunset. I can use the candle for create a atmosphere. Um, I can actually use the ice cube for make a, a coconut uh, milk drink. Okay. <laughs> for the sunset. I can use the lipstick for shipping a face on the lab shade. Okay. As a uh, uh, to simulate like someone else with me and having a very romantic uh, drink on the sunset <laughs> in the island. I love it. I love it. You're creative genius. So, so <laughs> coming to the end, where can people keep up to date with what you're doing, and where can we find your book? Well, my book is right now in Amazon, uh, and I think thank you Amazon is available uh, almost everywhere. And uh, it should be available as well on uh, iTunes as ebook. Um, yeah, you can find myself in Medium. You're just looking for Mirko Pascolini. I have uh, always the same handle everywhere. You can find me in Twitter. You can find me in LinkedIn. I always try to share a lot of things because one of the things I believe is sharing. It's the most important things for evolving. I'm not fear to share what I learn because it's the only way I have feedback and I can open conversation with the others and learn myself as well again. And yeah, I always like to meet people and I'm open to everyone to reach me. Awesome. Well, Mako, it's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, My thank you. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you very much. And I, I love to talk with you and I, I really appreciate it all actually your point of view and feedback you're giving me about uh, the things I did. No, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Well, you enjoy the best of your day there, Mikko. Thanks again. Thank you very much. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.